This is localjobnetwork.com radio. Thanks for checking out this edition of the LJN Radio Quad. Now here we have three of my colleagues from the Local Job Network joining me to discuss a wide array of topics related to employment, anything from job seeking to culture to management. We really do cover it all here with the Quad. I'm your host, Tim Muma. With me in the studio today, we have Jamie Goble. Hi. We also have Carrie Freitag. Hello. And Roselle Rogers. Hello, everyone. All right, well, let's get right into this episode uh, and start with an area of the job search that I think is often overlooked, sometimes underplayed from what we hear from a lot of job seekers, especially. Roselle, what do you have for us? Sure. Now that the market is heating up with a lot of employers hiring, I imagine many job seekers are getting phone calls from recruiters for phone interviews. So I thought this would be a good topic for us to discuss. There's only one goal, I think, in a phone interview is to get to the next round. That's it. <laughs> you get you need to get to first base. So how um, should a candidate do that? I mean, what are some of the tips or do's and don'ts that we can give them to successfully nail that phone interview? I will start off with a couple of things from that article that I shared with you, and maybe you can jump in and add some more. I do agree that they have to have a professional greeting. When they answer the phone, they need to really be engaging. They need to sound excited. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make the recruiter listen to some music before I can get to you. Uh, because I, I get that sometimes. Really? Or, or on the flip side of that, I've also gotten where the voicemail box is full and I can't leave a message. Oh, you just lost a job opportunity right mm-hmm. there. Um so do sound excited about the job, and it helps to keep track of the jobs you applied to so that you know exactly which one we are calling about. How many times have I called somebody and they didn't really know or remember which job I was talking about? <laughs> so, And then conduct a phone interview like you are meeting one-on-one with a recruiter. Do it in a quiet place uh, with your resume and the job description in front of you. Uh, if you have time, create a T-chart and match your qualifications uh, to each of the requirements that they are looking for. And if you're not sure what a T-chart is, uh, attend one of our webinars on resumes and cover letters. So nice. you'll learn how to do that, right, Tim? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then book your schedule ahead of time. Um, don't be out and about at the scheduled time. Um, I have been surprised a number of times where I found the applicant going through a checkout line at the grocery store <laughs> when I called them, or they were eating lunch or eating um, snacks in the cafeteria with their friends. And so it wasn't really a good time for mm-hmm. us to be doing that phone review. So I thought I'd just throw those uh, couple out there and, and find out what you guys think. What are some of the do's and don'ts for a phone interview? I like a lot of the things you offered, Roselle. I've also been on the um, end of doing the phone interviews, and it can be really alarming and distracting when people have kids in the background, oh. or you can tell they're driving down the interstate, mm-hmm. and you're almost afraid to distract them. True. Um, and I think the one thing people have to consider is this is a great opportunity. You can have everything in front of you. You can have your notes about the job that you're applying to. You can have company information. You can have a list of questions and be really prepared. And I don't think people necessarily take the phone interview as seriously as they should. Mm-hmm. To Roselle's point, that's your opportunity to get your foot in the door and get an in-person interview. And it's becoming a very common practice for majority of employers nowadays. So you should really be prepared. I'd even dress up. I'd make sure that you're not wearing your pajamas or True. you know sitting in an environment like a couch. You want to be in as professional as an environment as you can because you tend to act differently and be more prepared and sound more professional and confident. And um, you don't necessarily have that same experience when you're not doing those things. I agree. Good point. My other thought is to smile when you're talking. 
if you sound happy, sound enthusiastic. So kind of almost practice smiling while you're talking on the telephone. So that may transfer over to the person that's interviewing you. Very good. Yeah, I think and that was something in the article too. It mentioned the idea of a power pose. And it might sound a little, I don't know, cheesy to some people, but and individuals I've talked with, and we even did a show on it talking about that, just the way you stand, the way you hold yourself, that can make a big difference in how you come across on the phone and, um, you know, exactly what you can portray. I think people get a little relaxed. You know, they're you know just hanging out at their house or in their bedroom. And, um, you know, the mention of dressing up, I think that's a great mm-hmm. idea because it just gets you in that mindset of, like I said, it, it is a real interview. And people underestimate it, I think, mm-hmm. a lot from what it sounds like, and they're just not ready for it. Um, and I guess I'll... I'll put this question out to all three of you as well, because I haven't specifically ever called someone from that side of it, like the employer's point of view. I understand that most of the time it will be a set time. So the job seeker really has no excuse, but maybe there are circumstances where something happened and they are, they are out and about for whatever reason. Is it okay for them to say, you know what, I'm really sorry. Something came up. Can we call back? So I'm at a, you know, a spot that is you know, conducive to this interview, as opposed to just trying to do it when you're driving or something like that. What would you suggest to those? Absolutely. I mean, I've had those uh, situations before where they're telling me that they're in the middle of something right now. And can we schedule a different time Mm -hmm. for us to do a phone interview? And typically, I I really wouldn't want to do it on the spot when I call them. It's usually pre-scheduled. At least that's what my practice has been. But if, for example, it came at a wrong time, I, I totally respect a candidate's request uh, Mm -hmm. to schedule it at a better time because I want this to be good for me. I want to be able to yield good information. And and he would, the the candidate also would like to be able to present themselves, you know, in the best possible light as possible. Yeah, I think it's important for them to hear because, I mean, I'm sure everyone's felt that pressure. Like, I don't want to say I can't do this right now because then I lose the job. But the truth is you're probably more likely to lose the opportunity if you do it with your kids Mm -hmm. in the background or you're at the grocery store or something. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that At that point, Tim, when we call for a phone screen, Mm -hmm. the applicant has presented something that we like. Right. So we're already moving them one step Mm -hmm. forward in the application process. So they should really value that opportunity. Not everybody's given that opportunity. Um, And and they've done something right up to that point. (laughs) So it is theirs to lose then. I mean, that opportunity that has been given to them. So they really should treat it very seriously. Good. I would just add, too, you know, with the smile on your face and the strong communication skills, those things are going to shine through a lot more in terms of your attitude and your enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and your desire for the position. You know, if you're up against somebody else that maybe has the same um, set of skills, but you sound more enthusiastic, more positive, you might step ahead of that other candidate. So over the phone, you can really exude that well. Exactly. And truthfully, for those listening, I have three individuals in here who literally do this as part of their job. (laughs) They are telling you the truth. Please listen. Please, please, please. We are not trying to pull any wool over your eyes or anything. This is exactly what you need to hear. So hopefully that'll help some job seekers out there. Yeah. We want them to get to second base. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I love the baseball reference, Roselle. You've suddenly (laughs) become one of my best friends. Uh, So on the one side, we have the job seekers here, like we've been talking about, um, offering up some tips for them, obviously. Now let's turn our attention to Jamie, who is looking at the other side of the hiring table. Yes. Well, we're always looking to hire extraordinary employees. And as any company out there would know, now is a difficult time for that. So 
always researching and figuring out what can we do differently? What should we be looking for? How do we hone in on those skills and find the right people? Because the right people in the organization is critical to the company's success. So I did share an article with everyone about the seven rules to hiring extraordinary employees. And I think there were a lot of eye openers for me and things that I naturally just look for in people in interviews Mm -hmm. that aren't related to their experience or their background or you know, their previous successes so much that can really play a big role in a hiring decision. And I think it's really good information to share and would love to get your feedback on it. But one of the most um, relevant ones I thought was don't confuse success with motivation. I think that would be really, really easy to do. And motivation is key, but you could be successful without motivation and you got to be real (laughs) careful there to find balance. Sure. So... I was curious to get your thoughts. I like the part about seeking out the people that have overcome disappointment. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to succeed at everything that you do. It's just how you react to it and move forward. And and I thought that was an important point. I think that it underscores um, what some of us already know, that it's not really the experiences that one brings that make them successful or the knowledge that they bring. It is those character traits. Mm that make them successful, the things that an employer cannot train them on. They they just either come with it or they don't. That's just how they are. Those are traits that they were raised on. Those are traits that they grew up knowing, living, and breathing, and that they practice all their lives, not just at work, but in their academics, in everything that they apply themselves to, they are like that. They can't help but be like that because that's who they are. And you cannot train that into a person. And you can always train somebody to be a successful marketer, as a good salesperson, but you cannot train those kinds of ten, you know, non-tangible characteristics like resilience, mm-hmm. um, critical thought, uh, having that can-do attitude or mindset. Um, I think those are very important skill sets or character traits that any employer would be happy to have in their employees. I mean, so would any of you have suggestions for the hiring personnel out there who's trying to figure out what that character is in that person? I mean, because, you know, a lot of times we'll talk in theory, like this is what we want to see, but are there certain questions that can elicit that? Or is it is it partly a feel thing, partly your experience of talking with candidates that have been successful? I mean, maybe to help give our listeners a little practical insight into that. I think to Carrie's point about the thing that she really took away the most, I think you can ask the questions that surround, you know, challenges they've overcome Mm, and, you know, what has been the biggest challenge? How did they overcome it? How did they feel during that situation? One of the things with this you'll notice is attitude too, which kind of correlates to what Carrie said. If they have a positive attitude, they're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to see the glass half full. They're willing to deal with things in a different way than somebody with maybe a negative attitude that has maybe gone through the same thing as somebody else, Mm -hmm. but they handled it in a very different Mm -hmm. way. Um, So those are some of the questions that I kind of like to throw out there to learn more. And when you ask about those negative experiences, what I yield from that is how do they view it? How do they look at it when they look back? Did they look back with it with a very bitter attitude? Mm -hmm. Those will come out in their answers. Mm -hmm. And that's where you will see, did they really learn anything from it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or did they not, you know, did they miss the point, not really look, see anything positive out of it? And that's where you'll get a feel for their mindset and for their attitude. When when you ask them or ask them questions that make them look back to those types of experiences. Sure. 
Carrie, did you want to add anything to that? Not anything more at the moment. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to. I do want to point out about the get, getting references and getting oh, solid yeah. references because I really believe in references. I know some people say you know you can't really get a lot out of references, but I think if you're a skillful uh, interviewer or a skillful recruiter, you can get those information. Now, because one thing I do know is the people who are A players who are outstanding. I can't ever remember doing a reference check on those people where I didn't get an overwhelmingly glowing mm -hmm. review from their previous supervisors. Okay. I'll hear things like, oh, you'll, you're so lucky to get this person <laughs> or you're going to, you know, um, you're going to be crazy not to hire this person or I would hire this uh, person uh, right this very minute if I got the chance again. Mm. Those mm. were the kinds of reviews that you will hear from those types of people. Nice. I like that. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. for those, again, on the other side, job seeker, understand that, you know, not that you have to coach your references, but choose those people who can go to bat for you like that because it will make that big difference. I want to touch quickly on because the overcoming disappointment part that really stood out for me, too. Mm -hmm. um, I think we were kind of in a similar vein with that. Just in I feel that way. I come from a lot of a sports background, so a lot of times I'll relate it to that, which is why I appreciate the baseball <laughs> references. Um, but, you know, I've always taught the kids that I've coached, whether it's high school or younger with my young boys now, that, you know, you learn more from losing a game. Oftentimes you do winning because the end result is, oh, we won and everybody's happy. But as a coach, it's kind of our job to make sure we see those little things like, yeah, but how do we react in this situation? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you lose, to your point, Roselle, about looking back, like, how did, you, how did you handle that? I mean, it's okay to be upset and be bothered by it, but what did you learn? How are we going to get better? Mm -hmm. How are we going to change that next time? And, uh, and that's part of the reason I've always loved sports is I think you can relate it to something like this um, and, and just translate it. So I know with our organization, we ask people if they've played sports. And part of it I know is about the teamwork aspect and, and you know, leadership. Um, but I do think that part of it to me is that overcoming adversity because in any sport you play, you're going to lose. You're going to have bad days. So how do you overcome that? So I, I, that really stood out to me. Obviously, a little personal bias on my side. But I was happy to hear that really all of us were kind of in that same vein there. Yeah, it helps prepare yeah. you. If you don't lose and you don't struggle and you don't fail, right. you're never going to get better either. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what you were talking about. And I really like that. Yeah. Hey, I... Our five-year-old son, he, uh, we make sure he loses at games because you just have to learn. I'm sorry. You have to learn how <laughs> We've to We've had those experiences <laughs> in our house, too. Yeah. Tough so, as they are. It's hard to see them cry when they lose at Candyland sometimes, <laughs> but you got to deal with it. Anyway. All right. Moving forward. So, so far, we've helped the job seeker with that phone interview, which can be a challenge for many. We've also given some advice to the employer to help figure out, okay, who are these extraordinary employees we want to bring in? So, now company XYZ has made the hire. We helped made that connection. Carrie... Now, what can we do to continue that quality relationship? One way to make employees feel that they're valued and they're appreciated is to do some type of recognition, whether it's something informal or a formal program. So I just want to get everybody's idea of what type of programs do you feel work best with employees or maybe personally for yourself? What type of appreciation do you like? How can the company make you feel valued? I'll say that, you know, I actually work with a lot of salespeople. So we do have a formal sales reward and recognition program because sales is so performance driven. And mm -hmm. I think that's great. It helps motivate people. They definitely feel like they're always working towards that ne next level and they like the recognition. They like to be out in the spotlight. However, for me individually, I feel like I like the informal recognition a lot more. I feel like it means a lot more 
because it isn't something that's planned or expected. And so I feel like when I'm uh, leading teams, I like to give a lot of that informal, spontaneous recognition that um, isn't expected and it catches them off guard. I think, I mean, you could use both. The formal recognition for, let's say, service awards. I mean, those are always good. And even for milestone awards and giving them something tangible for that. But if, if you go by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where, you know, <laughs> being, feeling, like, deep here. <laughs> feeling like you belong, <laughs> feeling like you belong and feeling, you know, uh, you're developing your self-esteem um, and feeling like there is uh, meaning to what you do, the more you hit on those um, emotions, um, the more successful you will be. So I think you have to augment those monetary rewards, travel, et cetera, and, and you know, the, the tangible rewards with praise, recognition, that in the moment, uh, recognition of their accomplishment, uh, and even peer-to-peer -peer mm -hmm. recognition. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just top-down, but provide a way for them to be uh, recognized by their own peers. It's not just my manager who said I was doing a good job, but actually maybe everybody else who's doing the same job as I am said that I am the best this month or next, you know, in the mm -hmm. whole year. Mm -hmm. I think that has a different value altogether than just a manager recognizing them. I like that. I don't mm -hmm. think that happens enough. And mm -hmm. it is something that is should we should think about more. Yeah, definitely thanking your coworkers, you know, for the job that they've done, or if they've helped you out, mm -hmm. recognizing their efforts doesn't always have to be management that says the thank you. And I think, you know, each of you kind of alluded to this also is just that listening to the employees and not that you can give them everything they want or anything like that, but try to find ways that it makes it personal in a way that, you know, maybe one person does like the idea of some sort of monetary reward or recognition, but another person might prefer some flexibility with their schedule or time off or something to that effect. Um, and again, you can't please everybody. You can't individualize it for every single person. I mean, I understand that completely. But if you can have a little bit of, you know, okay. flexibility with it, I, I do think that is really helpful. And you, I mean, you hear that a lot. Um, you know, the job seekers we hear from, the the experts we hear from, I mean, they talk about it's the big thing nowadays is just having that uh, sort of individualized understanding. And it can come in a variety of ways. One thing I would warn against personally, and it's just for me, um, I prefer not getting recognition in like big group settings. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be one-on-one, -on -one, but like mm -hmm. if it's smaller, like departmental mm -hmm. versus the whole company. And I think most people are a little uncomfortable with that. And it depends on what it is and depends on the person. But, um, you know, just again, understanding your personnel I, mm -hmm. I, to me is just a, a big thing. Just like as an employee, you need to understand how your company works and how your manager works and, and how that all flows together. So, um, so I don't have a whole lot of insight into like necessarily formal programs, but I agree that kind of the informal side or at least trying to figure out how to blend them is really going to be that sweet spot. And it takes a little work, but I, I definitely think it pays off in the end because as all of you know, having to replace people because they didn't feel like they're getting the recognition is a uh, big time and money uh, uh, waste, I guess, mm -hmm. in, in the long run. So. I agree. You bring up a good point I didn't really think about. I've thought about it before, but it is enlightening to hear, you know, people don't always want to be recognized publicly and that might make them feel uncomfortable. And I think sometimes as a manager, we think that's a praise and that's a good thing. Right, so right. it's good to kind of keep that in check. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, we've gotten to our final topic. Uh, mine's a little more in the broad scope of things, maybe a touch philosophical. Just wondering your thoughts and the ideas of optimism, pessimism, and realism. 
Um, you know, for those listening, the definitions, of course, could vary a bit. Optimism is, of course, the idea that uh, putting a favorable construction on something or anticipating the best possible outcome. Pessimism being the opposite, that you emphasize those negative uh, adverse aspects, expect the worst possible outcome, and then realism, the quality of understanding what is real and what is realistic, uh, what's possible in each situation. Um, I guess I just want to get your take on, first of all, where do you believe you fall more, most often? Of course, everybody's going to adjust based on what we're talking about. You could be a pessimist here, an optimist there. But in general, where do you think you fall? And then also, how do you view them when it comes to the workplace? Do you see pros and cons to each, or do you really feel like uh, you could do without one or two of them? Just want to get your thoughts. I'm definitely the optimist. (laughs) Uh, I will be, if I'm planning an outdoor event, I'm going to be hanging on to the fact that the sun is going to be shining and it's beautiful until it's pouring rain. (laughs) (laughs) But then you're going to find another way to be optimistic. Yeah. You brought all the umbrellas you needed or something. True. I tend to be more of an optimist, but also a realist. Uh, I tend to be pragmatic as well. But my answer to, you know, whether is it better, what's the pros and cons of being one, I think it depends on the task and what your role is. Mm. Um, If you're a leader, it's very important to be optimistic because your team will mirror your viewpoint. So it's important that you are positive, you have a positive outlook, you're optimistic about the future, and and so you can move forward and lead your team forward. Now, if I was doing budget management, I need a large (laughs) dose of realism so that I don't allocate resources in such a way that I overextend myself. Um, I I don't really see, you know, a situation where I need to be a pessimist (laughs) necessarily, but the only thing I can think of when I was thinking about this was, I guess if I was doing disaster mitigation planning and I need to, you know, lay out what the worst case scenario is, that would be good for me to have that kind of, you know, mindset (laughs) to think about what's the worst thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, in in most cases, in most roles and tasks, I think being an optimist and a realist, you know, combined would help people. I think I fall along the same lines as Roselle. Being a leader on the front line, I'm very much an optimist and very positive. And, you know, my husband tends to be on the opposite spectrum. And I'm always telling him, you need to join an optimist club. You need to (laughs) kind of take a different shift. But I will say, you know, he tends to be better plan. You know, he has better planning sometimes because he expects those other outcomes that sometimes I do not. And Mm -hmm. then I can end up disappointed. um, And he thinks, you know, oh, I expected this. It worked as (laughs) planned. um, And he's not disappointed. However, I will say that um, I'm more of a realist at heart, where even if outwardly I am more of an optimist inside, I'm very much thinking through and knowing really where things will lie. But I want to encourage people and be that positive voice. So kind of a combination there. Yeah, And I, and I think you all mentioned it. I, I think in the end, you would assume that being realistic is in theory the sweet spot because then you really are in tune with everything. But there are spots to be optimistic. And, and Roselle, as you pointed out, a specific case where pessimism really does work. I, I mean, I'm going to argue I'm realistic in, in, in that realm more so. Um, some people around here might see me as more pessimistic. And that's fine. They can see it that way. I don't mind. Um, But a lot of times I feel I lean toward balancing out the rest of my team. Or again, if I look to the coaching aspect of it, same kind of thing where if I get the sense people are maybe a little pessimistic or unsure or doubtful, then I'm actually probably going to be a little more optimistic. I feel like there needs to be a balance here. 
if people are a little over the top and I think they're exaggerating on what they can do or we can do, then I'm probably going to be a little more subdued and just be like, yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see kind of thing. So <laughs> I, I feel like I play it off of the other people a little bit. Um, just, I don't know. It's just something that's always been ingrained in me. Uh, I'd love to be an optimist all the time. I'll be honest with that. But I, I don't necessarily feel it. And I'm not big on faking. I'm not. And I'm not implying anybody who's an optimist is faking it. <laughs> I am on. not. I'm not <laughs> implying that. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get there a whole lot. But uh, but I will say in conversations we've had with people, um, same kind of thing. I, you obviously want that optimistic leader. Um, and there's always kind of that spot you want the person who's maybe a little more cautious, a little more pessimistic, just to be like, hey, you know, they're talking like rain and snow on, on that day. We might want to think about a large tent and, and covers for everybody just to make sure, just to be on the safe side. But but no, I appreciate all of your opinions on it. And to be honest with it, you know, I mean, again, everybody could just say they're always an optimist and things are great and sunny. And maybe that's true. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but I appreciate all your honest opinions on that. So unfortunately, we are out of time today. As always, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Anyone listening, you should have taken a few things away from our conversation. If you didn't, you just really weren't paying attention, I guess. If you have any suggestions, though, or feedback from this show or any of our shows on LJN Radio, just send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter. Find us at the LJN. And don't forget to tune into more podcasts, ljnradio.com or on iTunes. You can find all of our shows up there as well. For Jamie Goble, Carrie Freitag, and Roselle Rogers, I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.